0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're concluding our series today, An Alternative Lifestyle, with a message entitled Marks of Reconciliation. So let's turn our Bibles to Philemon 17 to 25 as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: What would reconciliation look like, I mean, on a daily basis? What would have looked like between this man Philemon and Onesimus? And from that question, we, we can ask a question of ourselves. What does reconciliation look like between, let's say, a husband and a wife? How about a boss and employees? How about between parents and children? How about between Christian leaders and Christian people? How about between Christians in every imaginable setting? I mean, you can fill in the details. Now, how can you know if you've ever achieved it? Now, in other words, if you come back to Philemon and Anesimus, let's say six months or a year after the letter had been written, uh, could you tell whether or not these two people were reconciled? How? So Paul's wise enough to know that this is a problem. And so he gives us in Philemon, I, I would call these six marks of genuine reconciliation. So before we identify them, let's read Philemon verses 17 through 25. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. My brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, from the closing paragraph in Philemon 1, I want us to notice that Paul identifies what I would call six marks of reconciliation. So, let's take each one of them in turn. Here now is the first. Number one, we are reconciled when we welcome each other joyfully. Listen again to verse 17. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. See, Paul knew that the key to reconciliation is is how comfortable Philemon and Anesimus would now be in each other's presence. So imagine for a moment how Philemon would have reacted if Paul had walked through his front door. Now, no doubt, they would have hugged each other. And as was common, they would have greeted each other with a holy kiss. Philemon would have arranged for Paul to stay. He would have put up a guest room for him. They would have spent time with each other. They would have enjoyed each other's company. I would imagine the two men would have prayed together and maybe they would have talked into the night. Paul says, the test is going to be whether or not you treat Onesimus as you would have treated me. Now, the key word here, and you need to see it, that's the word partner. Now, the Greek word is the word koinonos. From that comes that very famous word. And most Christians know it. It's the word koinonia. We translate that fellowship. A Fellowship is the sharing of a common life. It is a common faith. It's a life of common goals. It's, it's the sign of friendship. It's the sign of acceptance. One lexicon defines koinonos as one who participates with another person in some enterprise or matter of joint concern. Now, that word is used in Luke chapter 5. It describes Peter, James, and John who were koinony, that is, they were partners, that is, they had invested in a common fishing business. That was their livelihood, and this kept them constantly in each other's presence for the accomplishment of a common goal, and that, of course, was their business. Now, the point is this. Paul thought that he and Philemon had a common business, they had a partnership. They had a great enterprise of bringing the gospel to the world. So if they visited each other, what would they do? Well, they'd not only enjoy each other, they would actively have been praying and encouraging. They would have been strategizing on how to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus. And Paul says, welcome Anesimus in just that way. This is the point. You're not reconciled until you see the other brother or sister in Christ as a partner now in the gospel, as someone whom you are delighted to spend time with. So in one sense, you know, I can say that that first point is the final outcome of reconciliation, and the next points are the ways that you get there. So let's look now at the second mark of reconciliation. Number two, all outstanding debts are now settled. That's very important, especially in situations where, where two Christians are involved in business, one of them feels that the other has harmed them financially. Reconciliation, it's not whitewashing the matter. Forgiveness says, I'm not going to hold you accountable, but, but reconciliation says, whatever debts we have, they're taken care of, paid in full. So how can this be accomplished between Philemon and Anesimus, especially since he stole? And, and also, we assume that money's gone now. He didn't do his fair share of work. Well, in verse 18, Paul says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And, you know, you think about it, it's quite a statement. Now, I'm not sure I know Paul's financial status. You know, he's in prison in Rome. But in Philippians 4, Paul says that at times he has abounded. That is, he had more than he needed financially. And yet, at other times, he didn't have enough to provide him with the next meal. Nevertheless, he was content, he said. So, did Paul now have the extra money? Or was he going to assume a personal debt in this regard? Or was he going to ask for an offering? Well, he doesn't say. But here's what we do know. Paul was interested in the question of indebtedness that it must be settled so that the two men would never again have this as a cloud over their head. I can say this, unless in the case of dispute, someone is prepared to stand up and say, this debt is now canceled, the dispute between two people is never going to end. Someone has to cancel debts. That's what happened in Christ. He canceled our debt before God. Wow, that's, that's a mouthful. But now we come to the third sign of reconciliation. And I call this one, number three, that there is a reminder of your own unpaid debts. Verse 19 says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me your own self. Now, I can't help but I smile at this point because I know that Paul is putting a gentle squeeze on his friend. Paul is saying, you know, if it wasn't for me, and my faithful preaching of the gospel, Philemon, you would never have heard the good news. Uh, you'd never have been saved. And therefore, your eternity would not have been secured. So how big of a debt is that? <laughs> That's a big one. And I've been thinking about this, you know, uh, uh, who do I have debts to? Now, I, I, I know I have a debt to my parents. They raised me in a Christian home. They brought me to church. Nevertheless, I rebelled. And there was a Christian pastor with great care and wisdom. His name was Jürgen Schenvetta. He brought me to faith in Christ. I mean, what do I owe that man? I mean, I, I can't pay him back. I owe a debt to my wife, and she set aside her plans to help me to be all that I could be for ministry. She taught me how to study. She sacrificed her own self for me, and I wouldn't be in ministry without her. I owe debts to people who trained me theologically. The list of my indebtedness, I mean, it just goes on and on. In Matthew 18, Jesus told the story of a man who owed his master millions of dollars he could never repay. In fact, it would take thousands of lifetimes to have repaid that debt. In consequence, he and his wife and his family, they would be sold into a lifetime of slavery. And his debt meant the end of everything that was good and decent and hopeful in his life. And the consequence of such a thing is just staggering. So overwhelmingly terrifying that he fell on his knees and and he lost all dignity. And he simply begged, he cried out for mercy. (laughs) I doubt that he expected it, but it was an act of desperation. It's all that he had left. Then the master in an uncommon, it's extraordinary and magnificent grace simply settled that debt. It was one of those moments that simply take your breath away. It, It leaves one with nothing to say the one with the canceled debt was hardly out of the master's presence. Hear me now. He found a man who owed him a hundred bucks. He grabbed him by the throat and he said, pay me what you owe. And the man cried out, just don't have the money. Please have mercy on me. But instead of having mercy, he had that man thrown into debtor's prison. And Jesus said that this gracious master heard about that. And he was enraged with the servant he had forgiven. And he took him and threw him into a dungeon where he remained for the rest of his life. And with that, Jesus has something that he wants to teach us. We need to listen. It troubles me even to this day. Jesus said, it's in Matthew 18, verse 35, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you will not forgive your brother from your heart. You see, I owe debts to people who have impacted my life. What's the debt I owe to God? I know. Uh, You're not called upon to repay God your debt. That debt has been canceled, but that's just the point. I don't think it's possible to deal with reconciliation until we're staggered and humbled by our personal debts.
0: We're always encouraged and blessed by the generosity of those who share our heart for Bible teaching and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and we continue to be in awe. Last month, we received a pledge from a group of ministry friends who are committed to matching your donation this month up to $125,000. I can't express enough appreciation for the potential impact of this pledge for ministry. I'm excited also to share that we're continuing our match into the month of July. So could I ask you to thoughtfully consider offering a financial gift today? Your gift of $50, 100, $1,000 or more will be then matched up to $125,000, which with your help becomes $250,000 to support the ongoing Bible teaching of this ministry. You literally double the dollars you choose to give. What a great investment. Would you help us to take full advantage of this opportunity today? Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us and make your gift securely online at backtothebible.ca.
1: Perhaps you, my hearer, live your life without an awareness of what you owe, and you're diminished by that. I encourage you to drop a list and accounting of your indebtedness. I hope that it becomes a staggering list for you, for without it, you'll never get a beyond those who owe you something. Now, the fourth mark of reconciliation, number four. You are now free to go beyond what is required. Listen to verses 20 to 21. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Now, what has Paul just said? Well, go all the way back to verse 16a no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. And that's what Paul said to Philemon. And now he says, I know you will do even more than I say, but how do you do that? And how do you do more than that? I don't know. But the point is actually quite simple. There is no instruction of what Philemon might do, for that would simply be doing what is required. Here's the point. Real reconciliation no longer considers what's required it begins to consider what's possible. You know, the story is told of a wealthy English businessman who, in his cars, always drove the very best. He had a Rolls-Royce, which he kept in mint condition for many years. But one day, he hit a huge pothole, and the rear axle of the car broke. And of course, because of the age of the car, the warranty had long since expired. And the car was shipped to the Rolls-Royce plant to be fixed. And to his surprise, it returned back within a week, completely repaired, no repair bill. He waited for months. No repair bill came. And so he wrote the note and he asked when the bill was going to arrive. And the answer was instant. We have searched our files and find no record of any Rolls-Royce ever having an axle break. Rolls-Royce's axle, sir, never break. (laughs) You see, the issue at stake was the integrity of the name Rolls-Royce. Look again at verse 20. Note the word refresh. Now go back to verse 7. The saints have been refreshed through you. You see, it was Philemon's ministry to refresh the hearts of God's people. He would find ways to encourage and give rest and joy to people. That's going far more than required. And Philemon, because of his faith in Christ, acted that way. In fact, that's a mark of a believer. And so, in fact, Paul is saying, right now, in this situation with Onesimus, your integrity and reputation is at stake. Perhaps Rolls-Royce axles never break, but then again, neither does the integrity of Christian fellowship. And the only way to prove that is to go beyond what is required by the law. See, up till now, you, you might be forgiven by thinking that, you know, the reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus is just between these two men, with Paul helping them along in the process, that is, until you come to verse 22, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Find that, you know, almost an amusing verse. It's as if Paul puts the screws in. Philemon, he says, I'm hoping to be released from prison soon. I'm going to be visiting, so you be praying for that. And from this, I find a fifth mark of reconciliation. Number five, there is a sense of accountability. In fact, that sense is very great by the time we get to verses 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Well, that's quite a list. The first one is Mark. Yep, and that's John Mark, the guy who wrote the book of Mark, and the guy that Paul wanted nothing to do with because early on in Paul's missionary work, Mark had deserted Paul when times got tough and he went home. You might also remember that Barnabas wanted to give Mark a second chance. Paul, on the other hand, simply refused, and an argument ensued over that, and that was the reason for the breakup of the first Christian missions team. And after all of that, Paul and Mark are now reconciled and are working together. And then there's Aristarchus. Well, he was a Jewish believer who was with Paul during the riot in Ephesus. It's mentioned in in Acts 19.29. And he was there also during the shipwreck on the way to Rome that Paul mentions in Acts 27. He must have been known as a man who had suffered much for the gospel. And then there's Demas, and that's a sad story. According to 2 Timothy 2 verse 4, he simply loved the world and then abandoned his faith. And then there's Luke, the author of the book of Luke. So here's what we have. Two writers of the gospel accounts of Jesus, and then one man who suffered much for Christ, and they're among the people who know about this situation between Anesimus and Philemon, and they send greetings. And by the way, we're all watching with great interest. You know, you want pressure, that's it. But Paul didn't intend this to provide pressure. He intended it for encouragement's sake. These are people who are cheering you on, he says. I think that the great tragedy with many is that they're trying to live their Christian life alone without a group of people who are actively cheering them on, who believe the best in them. But God designed the entire church of Jesus Christ to be one big, large overwhelmingly encouraging group of people, an accountability group. The church is not designed to throw you out if you blow it, but to encourage you so that you would be more like Christ and to learn God's great designs in our lives and to learn forgiveness and more to learn reconciliation. Uh, To learn to say, number one, that person is now welcome in my presence. To say number two, all outstanding debts have been settled. To say number three, I'm reminded not of their debts, but I'm reminded of my debts, the ones I owe. And number four, I am now free to go well beyond what's required. And that's the joy of church. And I'm telling you, this is the lifestyle the world so desperately needs to know about. It's the kind of life that Jesus has for each one of us. So let's end with the last mark of reconciliation. It's in verse 25. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. <laughs> Here's the sixth mark. You're aware of what? Grace, grace. Grace is the free gift that we don't earn, that we don't deserve. <laughs> Let me end with a story that may or may not relate to this book. But half a century after this book was written, the early church leader and father, a man named Ignatius. He was from the ancient city of Smyrna. Uh, Smyrna is uh, you know, in what we now call Turkey, but this letter that comes from Ignatius was while he was being led away to be martyred in Rome. So he wrote a farewell letter to the church in Ephesus. And he's expressing the debt that he owes to that great church of Jesus there. And here's what Ignatius says, listen carefully. He says, I received your large congregation in the person of one man, Anesimus, your bishop in this world, a man whose love is beyond words. Ha, huh. Was that the same Anesimus mentioned here? Most historians believe it was. In my estimation, it is probably that very same man. Think about it. Once a useless slave... A man who was useless to his master, a man who stole. But now, a man who has found forgiveness, a man who has repented of his sins and received a new nature, now he is loved. Then he is reconciled to his master. His debts are forgiven. But that's not the end of the story. Apparently, that same Anesimus, that useless fellow who was once a slave, becomes a pastor, And then, not only that, he's one of the most loving leaders of the early church. How could he be anything but that? I mean, he had to be that, and that's what reconciliation does. It's what it can do. It makes a useless person into a useful person, and it blesses many and changes a culture. Uh, Dear friends, that's not just the message of this book. It's the message of Christ. And that, my dear friends, is the alternative lifestyle that we are given from Christ. It is the alternative lifestyle that this old sin-sick world is aching in its heart to see. So if there's brokenness in your church, I think you know what to do. Do it for the sake of the gospel. Do it because Christ demands it of you Do it because a world that is lost needs it so desperately. Obey Christ and follow this word that comes to us from this marvelous book, the book of Philemon. May the Lord be with you.
0: John, this has been a great series, but let me ask you a question. It starts with a bit of a statement. I, I think there's this sense sometimes that we carry this moniker of Christian around, but we need to recognize, don't we, that there's, there's an integrity to that. There's, there's a definition of what it means to be a Christian, to live that out.
1: You know, Ben, the reason that I uh, call this entire series An Alternative Lifestyle is because I actually think that uh, the people in in our world, in our culture, have actually never seen that kind of love, um, and sometimes, sadly, um, we don't see that kind of love in our own churches, in our own you know Christian relationships. And there is, I think, in the book of Philemon, this call to live in such a way. You know, we started by talking about junk coming down a river. And uh, here we are at the end of this thing, and we're talking about, you know, what it means actually for a Christian community to be healed and to love one another, to restore where it is at all possible. Man, I, you know, Ben, this is what makes us
0: truly Christian to the world. Thanks so much, John, and thanks for this great series on Alternative Lifestyle. Remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. From February 7th to the 16th, 2020, make plans to join us for our Back to the Bible Canada Laugh Again Southern Caribbean cruise. You'll be sailing the seas for nine days aboard Royal Caribbean's Explorer of the Seas, visiting Aruba, Carousel, Bonaire, and more. You'll be joining Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, and now confirmed special friends and musicians, Shane and Angela Wee. I guarantee you'll be spiritually enriched and challenged. You'll laugh and be encouraged, and you'll enjoy great fellowship and refreshment. Come on your own or with family and friends as you enjoy incredible ports of call, everything the ship has to offer, and a week of ministry designed specifically for the occasion. Check it all out at backtothebible.ca, laughagain.ca, or call 1-800-663-2425.